Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. And this is part two of that, that same message. And if you remember last week, we were looking at Apollos in, at the end of Acts chapter 18. At the end of Acts chapter 18. Well, we're going to continue on into chapter 19 today. Oftentimes, uh, you know, if you didn't know this, when the Word of God was written over a period of hundreds and hundreds of years by many different people, uh, when they wrote in Hebrew and in Greek, they didn't write chapter numbers and verse numbers. Most of you knew that. <laughs> uh, they also didn't have punctuation. All of that is added later, and sometimes, it's pretty rare, but sometimes you can, you can uh, notice some things by uh, moving the punctuation around a little bit, because they actually did not have punctuation, and the word order, of course, is different in the translation, but uh, more often you can uh, get a, a real blessing by not paying too much attention to where the chapter break is, because sometimes the chapter break comes right in the middle of a story. Why did they put chapters and verses in there? Well, I'm, I'm glad that they did that. It wasn't done by the apostles, it was done hundreds of years later, but it was done as a, uh, as a, as a, as a teaching method, a way to help us be able to find passages in Scripture, because then we can just say the chapter and number, we can find that exact place. In fact, uh, like if you have uh, a Russian Bible, sometimes the verses aren't exactly in the same place, because there's different traditions of chaptering and numbering also. So this is one of those examples. What begins at the end of chapter 18 continues on into chapter 19. And I just want to remind you that Paul is in, uh, he's in Ephesus, he's coming to Ephesus, he comes in chapter 19. In chapter 18, he hasn't gotten there yet, but Priscilla and Aquila find this great teacher of the Word of God by the name of Apollos. And uh, we talked about all of that last week, so I want to continue in chapter 19 this week. Uh, before we do that, I want to have you open up Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. very last chapter of the book of Mark, and I want us to read from verse 15. In Mark chapter 16, we have, well, I'll just begin with verse 14. This is the, the, the Great Commission, uh, only according to the Gospel of Mark. It says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has, been, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, and he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. 
And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. And confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I just pray that you would speak to us, Lord. I do ask, Lord, that you would hear the words of our last song that we sang together. This is the prayer, would be really the prayer of our heart, Lord. That Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this church. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in our homes. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in our lives. And we ask that you would overwhelm us by your presence, Lord. That you would baptize us with your Holy Spirit. That we would continuously be being filled with your Holy Spirit. And our lives would be saturated in your Holy Spirit. That you would overwhelm us, Lord, as we pray, as we sing, Lord. That that would be not just a song we sing, but that it would be the very prayer of our heart as we cry out to you. And I ask you this, Lord, open our heart and open our minds to understand your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Jesus said this to the disciples, he says that these signs will follow those who believe. So as you look at these signs, if you say, but I don't have those signs in my life. Well, that doesn't mean that you don't believe, but it may mean that you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to overwhelm you, that you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, or you're not continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. He did not say these would be the signs that follow the great apostles or the great prophets. He said very clearly that these signs will follow those who have believed. That in my name they will cast out demons. Are we casting out demons in the name of Jesus? We're going to see a story about that today in Acts. In my name they will speak with new tongues. Are we speaking with new tongues? Or are we still arguing with the Holy Spirit about it and saying, we just don't believe that tongues are for us today. We know it's in the book of Acts, but we just don't believe it's for us today. Are we picking up serpents? Well, this does not mean like some crazy thing, and everybody, every one of the disciples would have understood this very clearly. This does not mean like some crazy thing where you have snake handling services. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those things or not. I personally don't really like snakes. I'm not scared of snakes, but I'm not one of those guys that wants to have a pet snake at home. It's fine with me if you do. I just don't want to. But picking up serpents, I mean, Jesus has already talked about what this means. He says you will tread on serpents and on scorpions. Are we running away from the power of Satan? Are we running away from the devil? Are we hiding from the devil? Or are we out just grabbing him by the throat? You will pick up serpents and they will not harm you. He says if you drink any deadly poison, well, if I accidentally drink deadly poison, literally, I'm going to take this as a promise also, okay? If I accidentally get bit by a rattlesnake, literally, I'm going to take this as a promise. Because in the book of Acts, Paul does get bitten by a deadly snake, physically and literally, and he just shakes, his off, shakes it off into the fire. But it extends also to the poison that we drink more often in our lives. Most of us aren't out drinking on accident deadly poisons, Okay. But it does extend to this, and it does mean this for, the, uh, for our lives, that when people pour poison into our lives by speaking evil words and curses, that they will not harm us because of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So this is what Jesus said, that these signs would follow us, and finally, we would lay hands on the sick, and they would recover. Laying hands on the sick is not the work of the great televangelist or the great apostle. It is the work of every believer. 
And so he said, these signs will follow. And then it says in verse 20, that as they went out, they preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. So the signs confirmed the word. If we don't see the signs, if we don't see the miracles, perhaps it's because we haven't started preaching the word everywhere. When we preach the word, the signs confirm the word to follow. I want you to know that when Jesus said this to his disciples, he was just telling them that the same way that I ministered, you're going to minister. Did you know that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all of those gifts except for two, so seven of those gifts operated consistently in the ministry of Jesus. I'll give you a few examples, all of them from the Gospel of John. Every time Jesus preaches the word, signs confirm that word. Things happen. Things change. A sign is something anybody can see, and they know what it means. When they saw the sign, they knew that the word was confirmed. And so the word would bring either salvation to them if they received it, or condemnation if they rejected it. So here's some examples. John chapter 4. Verses 15 through 19, Jesus has a word of knowledge when he meets with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. He says to her, bring your husband here. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he said, you speak rightly because you've had five husbands. And the person, the man you're living with now is not your husband. He speaks a word of knowledge into her life. John chapter, and she says, you're a prophet. It confirms the word that he's preaching. John chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. There's a very spectacular gift of healing that Jesus operates in to the lame man at Bethesda because he could not get into the pool on time. You remember that? The gift of healing. John chapter 6, verse 11. A miracle. The word miracle in the original Greek really means a work of power. A miracle occurs. And Jesus feeds 5,000 people with the loaves and the fishes. And if you study that miracle out, it happens in the hands of his disciples, right? He just gives them, and as they're passing it out, it never ends. The miracle happens in the hands of his disciples. In John chapter 7, verses 6 through 11, there's a word of wisdom. A, word, a woman is caught in adultery, and Jesus begins to write in the sand. And we don't know what he wrote, but I imagine it was something that had to do with all the people standing there to condemn, to get, condemn them. And he has this word of wisdom, and he says, let the one of you who has never sinned cast the first stone. And they all just walk away. And then he says to her, go and sin no more. I do not condemn you. And then in uh, John chapter 8, verses 42 through 45, a gift that's called the discerning of spirits operates. When he's speaking to the Pharisees, he sees that they are not just religious people, but they are people that are demonic in their ministry. And he says to them, your father is the devil, and you are liars. That's an operation of the discerning of spirits. The gifts of the Holy Spirit operate in the life of Jesus, as the Bible says, without measure. And then in John chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, at the tomb of Lazarus, 
He has a word of prophecy to Martha, and it changes her entire perspective, and it creates an atmosphere of faith in her heart to receive what Jesus is doing. And then in John eleven forty three, of course, Lazarus is resurrected from the dead, and that's a gift of faith. It's not just normal faith. It's Holy Spirit gifted faith to speak into a tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth, and then he actually does come forth. So we see all these gifts of the Spirit operated in the ministry of Jesus. And when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said that these signs will follow you if you will just go and preach. If you will receive my Holy Spirit and receive what I want to do in your lives and go and preach. It's Jesus' pattern for all of us. And this pattern is repeated over and over again in the book of Acts with Peter, with Paul, with Philip, with Stephen, with all of these people. It's like a textbook for us. It's showing us the pattern of how the Holy Spirit wants to minister, how the Great Commission is accomplished. There were only two gifts that were not operating through Jesus in his ministry. And those two gifts are the ones that we have uh, usually the most arguments about, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And there are a lot of reasons for why they did not operate in the ministry of Jesus. But the first reason is this, that Jesus himself said, I have come only to the house of Israel. He did not come to take the gospel to the Gentiles and to the whole world. He did bring the gospel to certain select Gentiles, like a woman who said, even the dogs are allowed to gather the crumbs from underneath their master's table, right? Or like the centurion, the Roman centurion. But his ministry over and over again, he repeated that he had come to the Jews and that he was sending out his disciples to the Gentile nations. And tongues and interpretation of tongues has a special place of power evangelism amongst the nations that we see begins with Acts chapter 2. They speak, all speak with other tongues, and everyone who's gathered hears it in their own native language, and it brings the gospel to them. It confirms the word that they are preaching in such a way that some who reject it are condemned, and others who receive it are saved, and many, many people were saved on that day. There are other reasons why these gifts did not operate in the ministry of Jesus. One of the uh, big reasons is that one of, a part of the power of the gift of the Holy Spirit to speak with new tongues is what we see in Isaiah chapter 6. It's, it's in the Old Testament. It's everywhere in the Bible. But in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is standing before the presence of God, and he cries out to God, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Every one of us knows that's true for us today. And it's not just saying foul, using foul language, but it's just all the negative, bad, stupid stuff we're talking all the time. And it's our whole culture. It's all around us. And Isaiah tells God this. How can you use me? My lips are unclean. And so what God does is what does he do? The, the Lord says to the angel to take a coal from the altar and to burn his lips with that coal. The Holy Spirit is this fire of God. John the Baptist said that when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the gift of speaking in other tongues is a gift that changes the way we speak. It really does. 
And the gift of interpretation of tongues is a gift that takes the mysteries of God. At some point, I may teach on this extensively, but I'm just telling you, we take the mysteries of God because Paul says, you do not know how to pray as you ought to pray. And the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that are too deep for words. That's speaking about the gift of speaking or praying in other tongues. And it's different. It's the same gift in a way. It is the same gift, but there's different uses. There's a public use for the gift of tongues. We see that in Acts chapter 2, when they spoke with tongues publicly. And there's this private prayer language that should be in the lives of every one of us because we absolutely don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. But as we pray in the Spirit, then we begin to get, if we desire that, and we're asking the Lord for that, then there's the second gift called the interpretation of tongues. And many of you could testify to this. Many of you could tell story after story of how God has worked this in your lives. And others of you think, I wish that was true in my life, but I don't really know anything about it. Or I don't know how to do that. It's okay if you don't know how to do that. Because you don't need to know how to do that. You just need to yield to the Holy Spirit and begin to allow Him to give you the utterance. Okay? When I was a kid and I would read this in the Bible, I thought it was kind of like uh, some kind of occultic automatic writing thing or something. Like I would just suddenly start talking with some other language that I couldn't even control it. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they began to speak. They totally control it. The Holy Spirit, I've heard this said a million times in my life, and this is true. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on you in any area of your life. He, he can be grieved. The Bible says that we grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know that people can forbid to speak in other tongues? It says there, Paul says, do not forbid to speak in other tongues, right? That means you can forbid it. You can prevent it. You can frustrate the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's never going to force these gifts on anybody. But why would we want to frustrate him when all he wants to do is to glorify this church? All he wants to do is to glorify the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and have it preached to the nations. And as we pray in other tongues, we interpret those tongues, mysteries become revealed to our minds in our language, and we can speak those out to other people, and that's a prophecy. We prophesy into their lives. And then things follow after that as the Spirit wills. There can be discerning of spirits. There can be this word of wisdom. There can be, I don't know how parents parent without the Holy Spirit. Because this is beyond intuition. This is beyond having eyes in the back of your head. But it's sort of like that, but it's beyond that. This is a revelation by the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't come to frustrate your kids. It doesn't come to make them angry and push them over the edge, as Paul says not to do. It comes to bring healing into their lives. It comes to make them realize that God knows everything in their life, and He loves them. And he cares for them. You know, the gift of, of faith. There'll come a time in your life if you'll preach the gospel. I know this. I know this from personal experience, but there'll come a time when you're standing before a dead person and you've got to call them forth from the dead. Or a time when you're standing before a person who's terminally ill or something else is happening. or there's, You know how adrenaline comes on a person supposedly? I don't know. I haven't really had this happen. I guess I have had it happen. But not one of those car accident ways where you pick the car up and throw it down somewhere else. Like in those stories you hear sometimes. But everybody knows what that feels like. 
when you're physically put it, thrust into a position. Actually, it happened to me not that long ago. And you do something without thinking about it, and then you sit down, and you're trembling all over, thinking, I could have died. But it's just the adrenaline, right? It's a physical property that God's created for us. It can save a person's life, right? But this is how the Holy Spirit operates, too. The physical is just a mirror of what's there spiritually. And the Spirit of God will come on you with a gift of faith, okay? And you'll speak a word like Jesus, Lazarus, come forth, and it'll actually happen. And then you'll go sit down at home and go, how did that ever happen? That's not me. No, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. But I promise you, in the, in the book of Acts, this all begins with yielding your tongue to him, with yielding your heart to him, and allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to speak through you by giving you utterance. Actually, it's not probably correct to say speak through you. Again, that makes you feel like it's some robot thing. But give you the utterance from your heart, and you just begin to speak out and pray in other tongues. You know, there's a lot of confusion about this, and I, and I know that. Uh, because I used to be really confused about it. Uh, we have a lot of phrases used in the Bible, and it can be confusing, but it's not designed to be confusing. For example, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. And then we have another phrase, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes people say baptism with the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes people say receiving the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people say being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? You know, so I, I hear people say, uh, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I've heard people say, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And then Christians get mad about that. Well, of course I've received the Holy Spirit. I'm born again, aren't I? If, the Holy, if I'm born again, the Holy Spirit already lives in me. I already have the Holy Spirit. You know, but those phrases, those terms actually come from the Bible. There's nothing wrong with them. And I want you to understand something, that it's just different ways of saying the same thing. It's an experience that is supposed to be the ongoing experience in a believer's life. There are many terms that describe a single experience. I'm just doing some teaching here to make this clear to you so you can understand this. Sometimes we don't hunger after the things of God because we just don't understand that. Sometimes the teaching comes, and we're going to see this in Acts chapter 19 in just a minute, to break, just to break through the ice that's, that our, our, our hearts and our minds are encased in so that we can understand and we can see. So this is actually an experience, according to the scripture, that is subsequent to the new birth. It comes after the new birth. There are two experiences. There is a double blessing, okay? And Jesus himself made this clear. So this isn't basing on uh, some uh, teaching book by some famous teacher that lives in the, lived in the 20th century. Uh, this isn't based on anything out of Paul or Peter, even, but on what Jesus himself said. And I've given this to you already, but let's go over it again. John chapter 20, verse 22. After his resurrection, Jesus gathered the disciples in this very place. It's just not mentioned in Mark. It's mentioned in John. And Jesus looked at them. They're all around him, and he breathes on them. 
The Bible says that the, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has the Holy Spirit without measure. And he sends and gives the Holy Spirit to us. And so he breathes on them, and he says to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So they receive the Holy Spirit, right? That would be what we usually would say today, is they were born again. They were saved. They received Jesus as Lord. You know, we have a lot of phraseologies, a lot of ways of saying, but it's describing an experience where a person is born from above, born of the Holy Spirit, and they become a new creation in Christ Jesus. This could not happen to them before Jesus' resurrection because he was not raised up from the dead yet. Okay? And now they received this salvation from him. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then, a few days later, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he comes to them and says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts 1, 8, right? So, if they've been good Baptists, or whoever else you want to put in that category, they would say, what do you mean we're going to receive holy power when the Holy Spirit comes on us? We already received the Holy Spirit, Jesus. He breathed on us and we were born again. We have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus would have had to explain it to them and talk to them about it. But they just trusted Jesus. They didn't have a problem with that. You see, there were two experiences with the Holy Spirit. And this is for the, the apostles. So how much more so for us? They received the Holy Spirit when they were born again. The Holy Spirit came to live in them. But there's a difference between the Holy Spirit living in you and the Holy Spirit being on you. And he said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you will receive power. What's the power? It's these miracles. It's these gifts of the Holy Spirit that are supposed to follow those who believe. That when they preach the word, these things come and they confirm that word. Okay? It's what a New Testament church is supposed to look like. And so he says, you will receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth, and you will lay down your lives for the sake of this gospel because of this power operating in you. If anybody needed the power of the Holy Spirit, it's Stephen on the day when they're ready to stone him. How could you stand there and speak those words that Stephen speaks in Acts chapter 7 when people are ready to murder you for it? It's not because you're so courageous. There's a limit to how courageous a person can be. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit operating on the inside of him. We need the Holy Spirit today. Look with me at Acts chapter 19. So remember we talked about Apollos. Let's look at verses 1 through 7. It happened that while, Acts chapter 19, verse 1, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so remember, Apollos, he went after, he, he received the ministry from Priscilla and Aquila, he went over uh, into Greece, he went over to Corinth. And so while he's at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country, this is his third, third missionary journey, if you remember, he passed through the upper country and he came to Ephesus. That's where Apollos had been, Okay. That's on the western coast of modern-day Turkey. That's where Apollos had been. That's the church that gets the message in Revelation that says they've left their first love. 
years later. But at this time, there's a powerful revival happening in Ephesus. He comes to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. And we, we notice that there are different groups of disciples. There's one church in the city, but it meets in different places, and they're actually like different churches because they don't all even know Priscilla and Aquila. It's a huge city, by the way. So he finds uh, a group of disciples, and uh, uh, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? Let me stop for just a minute here. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 19. I'm trying to look at my little tiny uh, margin notes here. Uh, verse 2. If I look at that little tiny marginal note, it says, Or the Holy Spirit has been given. Because literally in the Greek, that's what it says. It says literally in the Greek, we did not know even that the Holy Spirit is. And what it means is we did not know that Jesus' promise to give the Holy Spirit, to send the Holy Spirit, had already happened. It does not mean that we didn't know whether that the Holy Spirit even existed. We never even heard of the Holy Spirit. That wouldn't even make any kind of sense at all. I talked to you about that last week. In every Jew knew about the Holy Spirit. Okay, Apollos knew about the Holy Spirit but he did not know that he had been given yet. He didn't know about Acts chapter 2. He knew about the gospel. He knew about the Great Commission. He knew about repentance and turning to God, but he didn't know about the power of God. He didn't know about these signs and wonders following his ministry. He didn't know about the operation and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So they were saying, basically, we didn't know that Acts chapter 2 had already happened. So they asked, Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, let me make something very clear to you, because it's clear in the book of Acts. If Paul had meant by this question, did the Holy Spirit come to live in your heart when you believed? That wouldn't even make any sense. Because how could they know that and prove that to Paul? Do you understand what I'm saying? How could they... Like, how can you prove to me with some, in some uh, material way that the Holy Spirit lives in your heart? Oh, I walk in love. I have the fruit of the Spirit. Really? Well, let me spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with you. We'll see if that's true. Because it's not true in my life that I'm just 24 hours a day, seven days a week walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We all have bad days. We have ups. We have downs. Right? We commit sin. And if we say that we do not, then we make God out to be a liar, John says, right? So it's very difficult to prove that the Holy Spirit lives in you or doesn't live in you. That's not what he's talking about. If they have believed, Paul knows that they've received the Holy Spirit in their life, that they are born again. And they have believed. These are real Christians, okay? But he says to them, did you receive, did you Acts 1.8? Did the Holy Spirit come on you? Did you receive the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus promised in Acts 1.8? And they said, we didn't even know that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit yet. We didn't hear about Acts chapter 2 yet. And so that's what's being said here. They said, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, he's just doing a little exploration here, trying to find out. It's the same thing with Paulus. 
Why is it the same thing as Apollos? Because these are Apollos' disciples. Remember, he had a little Baptist church there in Ephesus. I mean, I'm sorry to use that term. I don't know how to explain it to you. He had a nice little Baptist church there in Ephesus. And he got full of the Holy Spirit and went off to Corinth. These guys are straggling around. Where did Pastor Apollos go? What happened? And Paul shows up. He said, what did Paul baptize you into? He doesn't say Apollos because he didn't even know about Apollos yet. Okay, but what were you baptized into? Okay? And he just wants to find out. And uh, they say, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. So they're saying, we repented and we were baptized in water with the baptism of repentance. Okay? And Paul says, that's great. Uh, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, you might think, well, that means they weren't really Christians until that moment. That's not what it means. It says very clearly at the beginning, he found some disciples. What it means is this. John baptized you with the baptism of repentance. But he said you should believe in the one who comes after him, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And just because all these details of the teaching aren't repeated in every place, they, they will have to be. You're supposed to read the whole book and understand these things in context. Okay? You haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire yet, is what he's saying to them. And when Paul, so they were baptized now in the name of the Lord Jesus, so they had a water baptism there in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So immediately, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and prophecy, these gifts of utterance are working through their lives. And there were in all about 12 men. Just as a side light here, to me it's always interesting, these things that Luke writes, about 12 men. Why didn't he just say there were 12 men, or 11, or 10? And what that shows us is that this is a real, I talked to you about this when we started Acts, this is a real history, okay? Luke knows there were about 12 men. The Holy Spirit hasn't given him any special insight. So when he writes this, he writes about 12 men. He doesn't elaborate, he doesn't exaggerate, he doesn't make up some big number. I mean, if I was writing this, I'd, want, I'd write down about 12 men and think, well, that sounds kind of lame. Why don't I write about 12,000 men? You know, but he doesn't do that. He just writes the truth that's there. They receive the Holy Spirit. So as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've seen this pattern repeated over and over again. And every time it's a little bit different. Sometimes the apostles have to lay their hands on them, like in Samaria. This time, Paul lays his hands on them. He's not one of the original apostles. He's the last apostle. Okay? And I don't mean in history, but of the apostles of the Lamb. Uh, uh, when Peter preaches at Cornelius' house, nobody lays hands on anybody. Right? And they don't even get to the baptism waters yet. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit before they get baptized in water. So there's not some set pattern here of how it has to happen. What is a set pattern is this is God's will for every one of us in our lives. I can tell you my testimony. Tanya could tell you her testimony. Pauline could tell a testimony. 
Walt could tell you about being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit as he's driving down the road. Everybody has a different testimony. But the, the, the substance of it is the same. That we, the Holy Spirit has come upon our flesh. So we say being filled with the Holy Spirit. We say being baptized with the Holy Spirit. You can put it in one word in John Wimber, who is the basic founder of the entire vineyard movement, once said it like this, in short, it means to be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon all of our flesh, when we yield to him in our flesh, when we're overwhelmed with him in our thoughts and in our actions. What is our flesh? Well, it's our talents. What do you know how to do? What do you love to do? Let the Holy Spirit overwhelm that talent. Let him change the way you do that to be a testimony. to God gave you those talents. God gave you those desires. God gave you the things that you enjoy doing as recreation, that you enjoy doing in life, the friendships you have, the trips you like to go on, the work you have, the things that you do. I mean, it's a fleshly thing to wash dishes. Let the Holy Spirit come upon your dishwashing. Let him come upon your toilet cleaning. Why not allow the Holy Spirit to come upon all of your flesh and empower you with the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be a witness in this world and into all the world? So we see very clearly in the Scripture that there are two experiences with the Holy Spirit, a double blessing from God. Some people say, no, there's only one. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not what the Bible says. If you want to stick with one, that's your prerogative. And I'm perfectly fine with that. But I'm taking both of them. And I'll just multiply it and let it be a quadruple blessing. Whatever God has for me, I want that in my life. What they have in the book of Acts, I do not feel that we are second-rate Christians. These are not the super-Christians, and we're the flunky Christians. This is an example for us. In fact, you can read 1 Corinthians. I talked to you about this. But they were flunking Christians in a lot of ways, but they still had the power of the Holy Spirit operating in their lives. And we can have that operating in our church and operating in our lives. Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to come back to uh, Acts 19. Go over to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Remember, don't get hung up on, on the way it's said whether it's outpouring, baptism, with baptism, in, receiving, being filled. Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And he's talking about the Holy, Acts 1-8, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. So in Ephesians chapter 5, and in verse 15, who's, who, wrote, who wrote the epistle to the Ephesians? Paul. And who did he write it to? Ephesians. Where do they live? Ephesus. Ephesus. <laughs> right? So this is written to these 12 guys and all the other Christians there in Ephesus. Okay? This is the experience they've had. And he writes to them, okay, and he says in verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk. This many years later he writes this. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And do not, and I'm going to give it to you like it is in the original Greek, do not be getting drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. You don't know what dissipation is? Look it up. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're wasting your life. Okay, that's what he's saying here. You're just wasting your days when you should be using them wisely. For that is dissipation. But be being filled with the Spirit. Wait a minute, Paul. We already got the Holy Spirit. Remember Acts chapter 19? What do we need him again for? Do you see the difference in the way they thought and the way we often think today? Paul tells them years later, you've got to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. None of us who had to go to a gas station today would say, well, wait a minute, what do I need to get gas for? I already filled this tank up two weeks ago. You know why you need gas, right? The Holy Spirit coming on our flesh is not, it, it begins with this original experience. Even in my personal life, in my personal testimony, I can tell you my original so-called experience was a process of several years and several experiences. I'm not really sure where it started. Because I'm, I'm telling you, I was as Baptist as they come. And I was a kid, but I was just, I mean, I, I was in a jar full of Baptist pickle juice. And I could not, I couldn't figure this out. My brother, you know, who had just got saved when he was 17 and gave up smoking pot and all that stuff. The druggy brother, he's all filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues. And Mr. Goody Two-Shoes can't get it. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? I know what it feels like to not understand the Holy Spirit. But I realized in my life, and I got to a place, and I really said this prayer to him about on the third, third experience I had with him when I was in college. I said, honestly, I don't even care if this is just something I'm, this, I'm just making up this tongues thing or what it is. I don't even want to care about it anymore. I just want you, Holy Spirit, to do in my life what I see in the book of Acts. You know, and that was a breaking point in my life. Everybody has a different testimony. You know, for some people, it seems like it's really easy to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't easy for me. But I can say that as time went on, I became to a place where I realized, and I realized this today, that it actually didn't have anything to do with me. I just made it all about me. And today, I know it has nothing to do with me. It's just yielding to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to work through my life. It doesn't mean I'm special, and it doesn't make me special. It doesn't make anybody special just because the gifts of the Spirit work through lives. It's the normal Christian life, not the special Christian life. Okay? And so he says to them, to these same guys, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be getting drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then how does he describe this experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Please pay special attention to that. Verse 19, speaking, the first evidence of the Holy Spirit coming in our flesh is he changes the way we talk. The gift of speaking with other tongues. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. Now I've got another little note here. Verse 19, I go over to my margin. Note number one, it says, or yourselves. Because that's what it says in the original Greek. It does not say speaking to one another. That's the spillover. 
It says, speaking to yourselves. This is a private ministry of prayer is what he's talking about here first. An ongoing part of our lives. When you're taking a shower and you're singing in the spirit. When you're praying in other tongues as you're cleaning the toilet or killing weeds or whatever you're doing. You know, when the Lord's speaking to you. I mean, I, I don't really like talking about myself, but just like as an example, a few days ago I just felt this heavy burden in my heart. I, just couldn't, I couldn't shake it. I knew it was about, and it was a message that God wanted to speak to me, and because I've had this happen before, and he wanted me to minister that message. It's not this sermon today. He wanted me to preach that message. And I just, I could, I could not not stop and say, that's it, I have to do this. And I just got my Bible out and a piece of paper with really messy writing, writing down the things the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Because they are, I'd already been reading this for like weeks. And when I'm doing this, I'm just speaking in other tongues. And it's just blowing out. It's just blowing out. It's just blowing out. And I don't know. I can't explain how it works. It, but it works when we yield to the Holy Spirit. It, it, it changes our lives. But it's not something that just happened 20 years ago when there was some great revival. But it's you've got to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. So why do they get this letter years later that says you've left your first love? You need to remember where you've fallen from. I'll tell you why. Go read it. It's in Revelation 2. Because they get all focused on doctrine only, which is good and right. And you have to have the balance of the Word and the Spirit. But they've left the Holy Spirit in the dust. And so Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to take your candlestick away. I'm going to take away your lampstand. I'm going to shut your church down. Because what's the point of a church without the presence of the Holy Spirit? And you don't have to make a choice between the Word and the Spirit. You can be strong in the Word and in the Spirit. That's God's pattern, His plan. So He says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I love this. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things. See how your attitude changes? Your words change? You stop complaining? You start giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and then whoop! Verse 21, and you become subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And your marriage gets better. Read it. It keeps going. <laughs> your relationships, you learn how you start being better parents, better husbands, better wives. Why? Because you're speaking to yourself daily the Word of God. You're reading the Bible and you're fellowshipping with God and you're speaking to yourself. Well, that's crazy to speak to yourself. Really? Then why did David write several times little phrases in his songs where he's talking to his own soul? Right? Oh soul, magnify the Lord. You know, read it. We have songs where we sing this. It's not crazy to talk to yourself. It's crazy not to talk to yourself. Speak to yourself. You are more than just this fleshly body you live in. You are spirit because you are created in the image of God. And you have a mind, you have a soul, you have emotion, you have a will, and you've got to take care of your own life. Speak to yourself. Singing, making melody in your heart. Well, I don't like to sing. Well, you don't have to sing on stage. You don't even have to sing in church, it says. Just go off by yourself out in the desert and start singing to yourself. Pretty soon you will be singing in church too, probably, because you'll learn that singing is fun. But rejoice in the Lord. And this comes 
by the Holy Spirit. It establishes the ruling power of Christ in our personal lives, read Ephesians 4, in our family and public life, read Ephesians 5. And it is the power of God to be his witness. We're not his witnesses if our families are a mess, if our marriages are a mess, but if we are being filled with the Holy Spirit, he establishes his ruling power in our homes and in our lives. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen in one day. You have to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit means you are being filled with the Word of God. It is the power to live the Christian life. As it says in Ephesians 4, 23, read the whole book and it all goes together. It says this, and I'm quoting from Ephesians 4, 23, by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Did you hear that? Your mind has a spirit. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind. I have my mind, and my mind is perfectly capable of preaching to you and thinking about what I'm going to eat for lunch today. And every one of your minds are perfectly capable of that. But there's something below my mind, something that generates and powers my mind, and it is my spirit, man, created in the image of God. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, not just fill your mind with Bible verses, although that would be a good start. But that's like getting the best car in the world, but you need the gas in the tank. You need to be plugged into the wall. Everything maybe is working, but if you're not plugged in, nothing is working. So be being renewed in the spirit of your mind, it says. And putting on the new self. You put clothes on every day, don't you? Well, some of you maybe wear the same clothes for weeks on end, I don't know, but eventually you put on something different. Well, everybody changes their clothes every day. Hopefully you change your socks and underwear at least. Everybody changes their clothes every day. But that example is all through the New Testament. Put on your new self. Well, I'm just not having a good day. Well, that's because you didn't get dressed. Go put on your new self. Quit complaining about it. Go get in the corner and start seeing and making melody in your heart. Put a smile on your face. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. The world needs you to be a witness. Have you ever gotten into a situation where suddenly the Holy Spirit puts you in a perfect uh, place to share the gospel with someone and you're absolutely not ready. Like you're having a really bad day and you're really mad about this and I'll show them, I'll teach them and, and then all of a sudden this window of opportunity opens. That's why the Bible says to be ready in season and out of season. You know, Patrick's a fireman. I don't think that their fire trucks are sitting on the empty right now because there's no, well, if there are fire happens, we'll go fill it up with fuel. No, it has to be ready because you don't know when a fire is going to happen, right? So you're ready in season and out of season being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he cleanses our tongues. You remember what James said, the tongue is a fire, the world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles our entire body. And it sets on fire the course of our life, and the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. And no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, and it's full of deadly poison. So if no one can tame the tongue, 
all the more so why we need the gift of the Holy the gifts of the Holy Spirit to pray in other tongues, to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, and to learn to submit our tongue to the Word of God. So go with me back here, and I'm just going to close real quick with, at the Acts chapter 19. And then you can take this story home and read it on your own. But it's an amazing story that just sums all of this up. In verse 8, it says, And he entered the synagogue. Paul entered the synagogue. He's in Ephesus and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened in disobedience, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew for them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. So he spends three months in the synagogue, but the Jews aren't listening to him, so he starts his own church, okay? Priscilla and Aquila had been there, Apollos had been there, and they all gather together, and they go over to this place called the School of Tyrannus. Why did they go over there? Because you don't have to have a church building to have church. They went and rented out a place at the School of Tyrannus, or got it for free, and they begin to meet there. And it says something amazing, that for two years, Paul is teaching in this place, Daily, He's doing daily Bible school in the school of Tyrannus, a two-year Bible school. And out of that Bible school, people go out into all of Asia. That means all of modern-day Turkey and beyond. And the gospel reaches what's Armenia today. It reaches the places like Azerbaijan today. Maybe it reaches up to those Scythians up in Russia. Maybe it reaches over to Hungary somewhere. But it's just going out from that place. In Ephesus, because Paul is teaching there, and he's breaking through those barriers by teaching and teaching and teaching the Word of God day in and day out. But it also shows us that there is a hunger in these people in Ephesus because, uh, you know, they're actually showing up day in and day out to hear the Word of God, and they're coming from all around to hear it. And then it says in verse 11, so God was performing, we're talking about power evangelism. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So we have the word, and it's confirmed by the signs. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. So again, we have the same kind of miraculous power that Jesus had when he fed the 5,000. Jesus is working miracles through Paul. And people, just like you know Jordan Montero or anybody, they show up and they say, hey, Paul, I've got this little handkerchief. And they lay it on Paul's body, and then they go visit sick grandma in the hospital and lay it on her, and she jumps up out of the bed. And the miracle happens through, not just through Paul. This is the thing about the Holy Spirit. It's exactly what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. This is going to happen with everyone who believes. And it's an anointing. It rubs off on other people. And so miracles are happening through the hands of the church members. They're happening everywhere. And the power of God is in operation here. And look what, what happens. It's not just the sick being healed. Diseases leave them and the evil spirits go out of them. People that are crazy become sane. People that are alcoholics, they get set free. Demons come out of people. They're set free. But then it says, verse 13, just listen to the story. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, 
I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish high priest, a, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. That's a pretty amazing story. So there were exorcists, yeah, just like in the movie, professional exorcists that went around casting demons out of people. And these exorcists had their programs and their means for doing this, okay? And they were somewhat successful at times. Remember, Jesus said, if I cast out demons in the name of Beelzebub, by whom do your children cast them out? So this was a profession. This was something that was happening. But these Jewish exorcists, they are the seven brothers, and they are the sons of a man named Sceva, who's a chief priest. Okay? They're Christians also, or at least they believe in the name of Jesus. I don't know about being Christians, but they believe in the name of Jesus. Because they see this happening, and just like Simon that we already read about, he wants to buy the power of the Holy Spirit with money. These guys want to use Jesus. So they go out, and they start saying, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And suddenly this thing happens, where the demon speaks out of the person. Not the person speaking, but the demon speaks out of his mouth. And the devil says, I know Jesus, and I know everything about Paul, you know, but who the H-E double hockey sticks are you? Since he's a devil, that's probably what he said. He was in the Bible, okay? Who are you? You know, do we have a reputation in hell? Because we don't. If we're not operating in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the devil has nothing to fear from us. The devil's not afraid of the words we're speaking if they're not confirmed by the actual presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. But the devil is afraid of that power. He says, oh, I know all about Jesus. And I've heard about Paul. I have no idea who you are. Why should I listen to you? And it's a very, just before I close, look with me at 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 1. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. This is the chapter that speaks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 7 that everyone is given the manifest, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you don't have one of these nine gifts operating in your life, then something's wrong. You need to get it. Go get your gift and start getting into ministry and being a witness for Jesus Christ. Because it brings good to the entire church. It says that the, in uh, verse uh, 11, that the Holy Spirit gives to every person, individually, as it wills. But look at verse, verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. We're unaware of spiritual gifts. We're ignorant of spiritual gifts. Yeah, we, we are ignorant today in our church of spiritual gifts. But Paul says, I don't want you to be. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is anathema or accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay? These guys are saying Jesus is Lord. 
right? They're saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So obviously what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, doesn't mean what they're doing. See, Jesus already talked about this. He said, many of you in that day will say to me when I come back, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal the sick in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, because I never even knew you. You were just like the seven sons of Sceva. You were just parroting words that you heard somebody speaking on the, in the internet or at church or somewhere else, but you had no real relationship with me because you cannot have a real relationship with Jesus Christ and him really be the Lord of your life and speak Jesus is Lord with power except by the Holy Spirit. You cannot be born again except by the Holy Spirit. And you cannot really have effective ministry except by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you'll read that carefully over there in Acts chapter 19, it was not just the seven sons of Sceva. All the exorcists around there were doing that. But nothing bad happened to them. Okay? It's not like that every, every person who lies to God is going to get killed like Ananias and Sapphira. And then we start thinking, oh, well, he got away with it. He got away with it. He got away with it. I'll get away with it, too. And then, boom, it turns out you can't. Just like kids today, they see these, uh, John, John and I were talking about this yesterday. So many examples in the news of people just getting away with things because they're famous, because they're rich. And the kids think, well, I can get away with that, too. No, you can't because you're not famous and you're not rich. And you won't get away with it. Eventually, it will catch up to you. So it catches up to the seven sons of Sceva, and it shakes the city. It's a, it's a miraculous thing. The people realize even the demons know who Paul is. Even the demons know who Jesus is. And then look what it says. It says, many of them who had been, in verse 18, who had believed, kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Prevailing. That's power evangelism. Do you know how much 50,000 pieces of silver is? It's 50,000 drachmas. It's 50,000 50, daily wages. And I got my calculator out, figured that out, so we're talking about 167 years of salary. So what's an average salary today? I don't know. But 167. That's how much their books of sorcery, their books of magic, their books of occultism were worth. Okay? And they began to come and to make a huge bonfire and burned all of those books. Because these people, they were worshiping Satan, and they didn't even know it. They had books of sorcery. They were using drugs. And those drugs could have been legal or illegal. It didn't matter. They were replacing the Holy Spirit with drugs. That's what sorcery is. Okay? They were replacing the presence of God with horoscopes, with palm readers with something else, I don't know. And they had these books in their own house. And they were already Christians. 
But they didn't know that that was wrong. They didn't understand that until this thing happened with the seven sons of Sceva. And then suddenly they realized there is a power struggle going on. And this is a war of the worlds. A war of God's world against the world that is under the power of Satan. And we don't want to be on the devil's side anymore. So they brought their pills, they brought their bottles, they brought their books, they brought their horoscopes, they brought whatever was connecting them to Satan, and they threw it in a fire. And when they counted up the value of all those books, it was 167 years of salary. Let's just be honest. It would be way, way more than that in our culture today. Satanism. If we're just honest with it, it's just everywhere. It's in our music. It's in our games. It's in our recreation. It's in our lives. I'm not here to preach some word of condemnation. Paul didn't do that. I don't need to do it. But the Holy Spirit will do it. When the Holy Spirit comes and he says, that's it, because I am a Holy Spirit. And you don't want anything unholy anymore. Nobody said, now go home and burn up your witchcraft books. They didn't have to say that. They wanted to get rid of them because they were so tired of being on the side of the devil and the spirit set them free. I hope you can see that, that it wasn't a program of evangelism. It wasn't something that they copied off of somebody else. If there's a copycat evangelism, that's the seven sons of Sceva. Seven sons of Sceva, that's, oh, I saw they did this over there in that city. Or I saw they did this over in that place, so we're going to do the same thing here. You understand? The Holy Spirit's not a copy. He's the original. But when the Spirit of God is moving, it's just so simple. It's just so simple. So filled with grace. And suddenly, people are being set free from things that they had no way of understanding until the Holy Spirit came. They have a lot of words, like the seven sons of Sceva, but no power. We have a lot of virtue signaling today. Don't you know it? All that matters is what you say, not what you really do, what you really have. A lot of symbolism, a lot of Jesus stuff, but no substance. The Holy Spirit is the substance. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus said, you will have that power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Um, you guys are going to got a song, right? Let's sing together. Lord, I believe that there is coming a time when, whether through the, and very soon, or when, whether through the laying on of hands, or just through the falling of the Holy Spirit without anybody expecting it as it was with Peter at Cornelius' house or just as it was in my own life in my own private prayer closet, Lord. I believe that there is a cry in the hearts of many, even here today, I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation in my life. I believe that there are those, even as I heard about one today, who's kind of struggling with that, who wants to understand that, Lord. Lord, just meet each one of us where we are. 
There wasn't anything special about Peter or John or Mary or any of them on the day of Pentecost. All the special. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonbeamfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF podcast. Just ask you, Lord, to pour out your spirit on our flesh.